can see we have a few little guests tonight that I'm not real super familiar with. So welcome, welcome, and welcome to everybody. Like I said this morning, double is doable. I don't know if we doubled, but we do all... We do have more women. Thank God for women. Amen. Woohoo. What are you looking for? <laughs> Dear, here it is. Help, help, help. Always helping. <laughs> Hallelujah. Did you hear that? He says, I'm looking for my drink. What did you do with it? Well, it happened to be right here where he left it. Praise be to Jesus. (laughs) Well, ladies, looking forward to this night for a while. I know it's going to be fun. And so just relax. We're going to get into the word of God. (coughs) And like has already been stated, might be a little loud here. Um, My title is, Who Do You Think You Are? And when I, uh, when the Lord gave me that phrase, immediately I was drawn to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. So I want to just look at the first part of that out of the New King James. For, I don't know if we're going to have, oh, we do have help up there. Glory. Yay, you're up there. (laughs) Okay. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Note how this says, as he thinks in his heart. Or as she thinks in her heart, so is she. Many people, especially women, they've bought into lies of the devil. Has the devil ever told you something about yourself that wasn't true? And you started thinking on that and thinking on that. And then maybe it even gets on the inside. And then you start believing it. This scripture said, as as a man thinketh in his heart. So is he. But it doesn't say just because you think something that it makes it true. That's not the case, is it? Oftentimes we think something about ourselves that really is not true. And I think that particularly when it comes to women, a lot of women deal with this thing of low self-image or low self-worth and just think they don't measure up. I really believe that it's an attack from the devil. Began from in the beginning of time, in the beginning of when man and woman were created. And we know that Eve yielded to temptation and all of the story of that. But then God told Satan, really, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I believe it is, he said, you know, the enemy's going to come. He has come. He's going to, what is it, bruise your heel, but you're going to tromp his head, basically. <laughs> so, so every time that he would hear that, God let him know after that temptation, after Adam and Eve had to leave the garden, that the seed of the Redeemer... The one that would restore mankind back into fellowship with the Father. The one that would bridge that gap between man and God that sin had destroyed. Was going to come through the seed of a woman. So I think when he heard that, he's like, ooh, I've got a vindictive against all women. I hate women. 
They're the carrier. That's through them that the Savior is coming through the Redeemer. The Son of God is going to come in through the earth, to the earth through a woman. So I believe from that very moment, he started out attacking women. Just think about it. Down through the ages, in almost every society, women have been many times treated like second-class citizens. They've been treated like a possession rather than somebody that's valuable and precious. There's been oppression. There's been lies. There's been all of these attacks against Women, and I think it's caused them to struggle many times in general women with self-esteem issues, their value and their worth because they've bought into those lies. Now, this is not a negative message. We're going to get out of that in a minute, but we're just laying the foundation. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone to like a carnival or a fair and they have those little trucks set up where they have all those silly mirrors and you walk through there and you see one and you're like whoa this wide <laughs> then you see another one and you're like this tall and then you see one and you're like really tall and really skinny and we all go ooh I like that one <laughs> but what do those silly mirrors do they distort the image of who we really are. It depends on where you are looking and what you are looking at that your image will come from. If you're looking in a distorted mirror, your image isn't going to be right. It's going to be distorted. For women of God, the only way that we are going to have a proper image of ourselves and see ourselves in the likeness and in the image of God, the way that he created us is to look into the true mirror. The Bible says that the word of God is a mirror. The mirror of God is where we discover who we really are. And who he created us to be. There's another mirror that we should not look into. It's the mirror of the world. If we look at ourselves through the mirror of the world, our image and our view of ourselves is going to be warped. This world is no place to get your self identity from, your self worth from. Look at this scripture over in Psalms. I'm not Psalms. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I want to read it out of the message. So, oh yeah, they got it up there already. Who's up there? Oh, it's Vicki. Good job. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Isn't that something? We just get used to what we hear. And what we see, and we just think it's normal to think this way. It's normal to act this way. But it says instead, fix your attention on who? On God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Now look at this part. Unlike the cultural around you, listen, listen to this, always dragging you down. 
always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. But God brings out the best of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. Say this with me. God believes the best of me. And he brings out the best in me. I am who he created me to be. Amen. We're not going to conform to this world's way of thinking. It said there, don't be well adjusted to your culture. Things that happen now in our culture. I mean, I'm 63 years old. And it's amazing when I think about how things were when I was a kid and how they are now. Most of you, I see quite a few in here anywhere that are close to my age. Y'all remember like I Love Lucy, that little show. I loved I Love Lucy. And in I Love Lucy, they always had little twin beds. I always thought that was interesting. They, back in that day, they did have a little little boy. I'm not sure how that happened in those twin beds. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but back in the day, they didn't show couples sleeping in the same bed. They couldn't even, on TV, the word pregnant was not even used. But we have so, and I'm not going to say progressed, we've so regressed. Now, not only do people talk about being pregnant, but they show you how it happens on television. And we can get accustomed to these things. And you know what it does? It desensitizes our spirit. And we just accept that as the norm. You know what? We're not normal. Say that with me. I'm not normal. I'm not fitting into this world, into the mold that this culture says I'm supposed to fit into. Absolutely not. <laughs> so there, there are attacks against godly principles and moral values all the time, aren't they? All this stuff about you got to be politically correct and you can't say this and you can't say that. You got to be all inclusive. Guess what, ladies? If you've got little children or you've got grandchildren, you have to protect them from just fitting in to the mold of this culture. Because if they do and their little brains start to think like the world, eventually it will affect how they see themselves. Who do you think you are? We know who we are. We're washed in the blood of the lamb. We're a child of the living God. We're a woman of God created in his likeness and in his image. Another thing that we have to be guarded on are about words that have been spoken about us and to us. You may have heard this saying when you were a little kid growing up, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, that's not true. If I were to ask for a show of hands, we've all been hurt or injured by cruel and degrading words that have been uh, spoken to us. But we do not base who we are on what somebody else says about us. If you get caught up in that trap and base your identity on what others say or have said about you, guess what? You have given those people tremendous power and control over your life. Bad place 
to get our self-worth is inside somebody else's head. And the words that they have said about us. It's not what anybody else says about us. It's about what he has said about us that establishes who we are. Amen. Years ago, I found this article. It might have been, I'm not even positive. It could have been out of a book by called, called Telling Yourself the Truth. But I thought it was really important to kind of share this tonight. That it, We're talking about where do people really get their identity from? All kinds of places. And this was speaking about women. So this article said, some women get their self-worth from accomplishments. Now, all of these have a certain uh, measure of validity. It's good to be accomplished. It's good to be the best at your job, but it's not about what we do that makes us special and makes us precious. It's about who we are and whose we are. So we don't want to get caught up in that. So some women, it's all about accomplishment. They base their identity on what they accomplish, how they perform. They believe the more they do, the higher status they will earn. Know anybody like that? If we were to be truthful as we list these, probably all of us could say, yeah, I've done that to some degree. So again, you know, I'm not saying that we haven't ever done any of these, but this is not going to be what we base the foundation of our life. And our self-worth on. None of these. Another one is possessions. Some women base their identity on what they possess or own. They have this appetite that they need to acquire things. They struggle with the tendency to compare their possessions with what other women have. If they don't feel good about themselves... They head to the mall and buy something else. They head to the mall because they only have a hundred pair of shoes and they need a hundred and one. Possessions don't satisfy. And you know, we believe in prosperity here and we believe in God wants to bless us. God wants you to have a good life. God wants you to have nice clothes, nice house, nice car and all of that stuff. But possessions will never ever satisfy that longing in our heart. You've heard pastors say this, that you have never seen a big hearse going to a graveside with a huge line of U-Hauls with all of this person's possessions following him. One man said that this wealthy guy died and they said, I wonder how much he left. And someone spoke up and said, he left it all. (laughs) We can't take this world's possessions with us, but we can take People, people that we have ministered to, people that we have touched with the love of Jesus. Heaven is not about possessions. It's about people. It's about fathering the kingdom of God. That's if you're going to get yourself worth out of anything, get it from doing the will, the plan and the purpose of God and being a blessing to people around us. Remember that it's people not possessions. And then thirdly, you might know somebody that's like this. I actually know people that are like this. Name droppers. These women base their identity on who they know, 
Unfortunately, these women end up being name droppers who tend to be threatened by the status of others. You might know somebody, maybe a coworker, perhaps you went to an event or whatever, and you might have met uh, the, the CEO of your company or somebody high up, or, you know, you may have met somebody that the world says is famous or whatever. So you come into work, you're in the lunchroom and say, wow, it was so awesome. We went to this convention and I met so-and-so. And before you can even get the word out, they're like, oh, really? Well, you, let me tell you who I know. Let me tell you who I met. There's always, they always want to do this. One up, Sonia. Well, you know them. Well, I know them. Because they're getting their value out of who they know. Name droppers. Well, if anybody wants to get caught up in who who I know, if I'm going to drop anybody's name, it's going to be Jesus. That's awesome that you met that great person and that wonderful whoever. But do you know why have you ever met Jesus? He, ha, ha, I know him. I'm going to drop his name. I've met Jesus and I know him personally. Hallelujah. He's the one that gives me value in this life. He's the one that lifts me up. It's not about knowing a person here on this earth. It's about knowing him. Amen. And then this last one. This is really a big deal in our society. And actually it's a real issue with a lot of women. Appearance. Many women base their identity on how they feel about their appearance. Spend countless hours in front of the mirror. They're obsessed over what outfit to wear every day. Change their clothes countless times. This type of woman's entire day or evening can be ruined if she doesn't feel attractive. She could have 25 people rave about her appearance. But if she doesn't see herself attractive, the compliments are in vain. And I would say that this one, our society has fueled this to the nth degree. That you have to look a certain way. You have to be this certain size. And I, you know, I have three little granddaughters now, and I think about this, that little girls are constantly fed lies about whether you're pretty or not pretty. Our oldest granddaughter, she's now eight, but I think she was probably five, maybe six. She was in kindergarten and they came to see us. And every time they come to our house, Grammy and Livy are just, we're tight. <laughs> every time they come, she always, she, when she, even when she was tiny, maybe like two or three, she told Papa, Papa, I'm sleeping in Grammy's bed. We have a big king-size bed. He says, where's Papa sleeping? She pointed to the office. He's got a little bed in there where he studies and lights upon the Lord in there. So now he doesn't even ask. But anyhow, he knows. I'll move my stuff in there. Liv's coming to town. But it's just sweet. We have little talks at night. But my heart ached. And she was about five, maybe five, six, summer after kindergarten. And I, we were laying in bed, and I was kind of rubbing her hair. And I said, Olivia, you are so beautiful. Grammy loves you so much. And she looked at me, and she said, no, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. She said, no, I'm not. I said, Olivia, why would you say that? Some little girl... 
at church, at church, not at church, who I hope not at church, at school, had told her she wasn't pretty. And it registered in her little heart. And I said, Olivia, I don't know who that little girl was. Give me her name and address. <laughs> No, but I just said, Libby, that little girl doesn't know what she's talking about. You are the sweetest. You are the kindest. And she really is. You have such a precious heart. You love people. You love Jesus. You're so pretty on the inside, Lib. But even that beauty on the inside of you, it radiates on the outside. You are beautiful. She said, am I, Grammy? Yes. Big old smile came on her face. You know, the, the devil's mean. People are mean. And from the time, it's particularly, I think, little girls are little. These lies get fed into them. You don't look like these people in Hollywood. You don't look like, you know, the, the homecoming queen or whatever. You know, you lack in your physical appearance. There's just way too much emphasis on the outer man. Think about it. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we need to take care of this temple. We only have one. We only have one life to live. We only have one body. But we've seen people get so caught up in their physical appearance, these extreme diets, obsessed with working out and all of this stuff because, you know, oh, I got to tone this and I got to shape this and you know, I got to be this, I got to be, I got to be. Take care of our temple. But we don't worship our body. And that's really what some of this stuff is. People are just into, ooh, look at me. My body's perfect. They're worshiping their body. We don't worship our body. We worship the creator of our bodies. And we must remember and teach it to our children and our grandchildren. Hollywood is not your example. You know, we see these things like the Grammys and the Emmys and all of this stuff. And they're all, you know, look so beautiful and ha 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 and all of this. But you know what? Most of those people, they might look good on the outside, but they're rotten on the inside. They don't know Jesus. They're sleeping all around, been in I don't know how many marriages and how many drugs they're on and all of this stuff to get some peace. No, that's not real beauty. The Bible tells us over in Proverbs, it talks about a virtuous, beautiful woman. You ought to read it sometime because that's who you are. But Proverbs 31:30, it says, charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. You know what? You can, you can have tons of facelifts and lift and tuck and nip and suck all you want. But eventually, the law of gravity and the aging process is going to take over. Our body is decaying. The Bible says it is. But the inward man is being renewed day by day. So this says that deceit, charms deceitful, beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Are there any women in here that love Jesus with all of your heart? Guess what? You're beautiful. That would be my translation. A woman who loves Jesus, who praises him, who seeks him first, who has a Holy Ghost living on the inside of her, who's full of the word of God. She's glowing 
from the inside out. She's beautiful. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are beautiful. Because you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. Now tell them this, irresistible you. You're letting God shine through. (laughs) That's right. That's what people are drawn to. They're drawn to what's coming out of us more than what they see on the outside. But by the way, I want to give a shout out to all of my beautiful ladies in here that are a size 12 plus, plus, plus and on up. Woo! (laughs) You don't have to be a size two to be beautiful. Every one of us are unique. And created in his likeness and in his image. It is not about the outward. It's about the inward. But you know what? There's other things that try to tell us who we are. How about circumstances and places, place where you grew up? People try to dictate to us. Well, you grew up over there, so you got to stay in this box. You don't have the kind of education, so you can never excel. They put labels on us. And God's not in the labels. But you know what? It isn't just the world. The church can fall into doing the same thing. Putting people in a box. Putting labels on them. Now, some of you have heard my, my story about this. But I grew up in a really good Christian home, and I'm thankful for that. Little bitty Pentecostal church. But I was very young. I was filled with the Holy Ghost when I was 11. And when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, someone on the inside began to speak to me that you are called. I just knew it. I knew I was supposed to be in the ministry in some fashion, called into the work of the Lord. And so I went and told my mom. She knew it too. Yes, honey, I see the call of God's on you. But you know what? People can think wrongly Mm -hmm. even though they're born again (laughs) not that you know my mom wasn't thinking wrong really but this particular denomination that I grew up in most of the churches at that time were really all the ones we knew they were really small and so when a pastor would come to start a church or pastor a church it was always a great asset if his wife could play the piano and sing because most of the time she had to be the worship leader so the great pastor's wife and my mom said you know I think you're a pastor's wife she got that right you're going to be a pastor she didn't know I was going to be a pastor but anyhow so she said you know it already been determined I couldn't sing too bad so sad so I couldn't be a great pastor's wife according to my denomination but we'll aim for good so she got me piano lessons two years I took piano lessons. I could not get, if Pastor Kim was in here with Alice, you know, I couldn't get those beats. They all, those, all, I knew the notes, but just the beats, always off. Never could get it. The lady giving us me piano lessons, she'd give my sister piano lessons, and it worked beautifully for her. But anyhow, she finally said to my mom, Mrs. Edward. I don't think this is for her. I don't want to keep taking your money. So, I mean, I was a little bit bummed. And it did not help 
that you have two older sisters, one that was going to be a great pastor's wife. She played the piano and sang. And the other one sang. And they would always do these beautiful duets at church. Then four years after Linda came me. And they were just waiting for me to grow up. They'd talk about it. We're going to be the Edward sister trio. (laughs) So that doesn't go well. It didn't happen. As soon as I was old enough to start singing, they never invited me. To join the duet. It stayed a duet. And I wasn't a part of it. So I remember thinking one day, Lord, did you forget to give me a musical gift? You know, I feel called and my church says I need to play the piano. Maybe I can, I got to do something. You know, I want to help in the ministry. So did you forget to give me something? But I remember when I was 16, probably 15 years old, I became the youth leader in our church and started preaching to the youth. And it was like, whoa, the anointing will come upon me. I'm thinking I can't sing, but I got a voice. I get to be a voice. I get to be a mouth. And then the Lord, how he really, really revealed himself to me about this. I was 16 years old. And there had been, back in the day, You know, my dad was actually the lead deacon in the church. And it wasn't his fault. But one Sunday, our pastor said, next Sunday night, he asked me. I've always liked Sunday nights. They're my servant. He said, next Sunday night, Brenda's going to preach her first sermon. So I was getting geared up and all excited. Well, during the week, I don't really know the cause. But the deacons and the pastor, they had a big old falling out. I mean, whoo, whoo, whoo. it wasn't good. I don't know. I think it was maybe about buying a bus or something. For, but anyhow, daddy, daddy never talked evil about the pastor, so I never really talked about it. But it wasn't good. Came into church Sunday morning. This side of the church wasn't talking to that side of the church. Some of them wanted the bus. Some of them didn't want the bus. And the pastor was mad. You can tell he was mad. He got up and he talked about something about it. If y'all don't want to reach the community, I'm done. He resigned. And then he said, but by the way, come back tonight. Brenda's going to preach her first sermon. Are you kidding me? You're not talking to them. They're not talking to you. They won't even look at you. And you're putting a 16 year old girl into the lion's den. But I went home and I prayed and sought the Lord. I don't really remember everything other than he gave me a message on walking in love. I talked about walking in love. Closed my eyes half of the time. I'm not looking at you, but. And you know what happened? The pastor, the deacons, they walked over, said, I'm sorry. They forgave one another. The pastor ended up staying for several years. He actually is the one that married Pastor Mark and I stayed for quite a few more years. And after that service, I was like, Lord, you did give me something. You didn't forget to give me that gift. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, you are not an oops. I did not forget to give you a gift that you'll need to fulfill your call. I didn't make you like your sister's. Or anyone else. I made you 
you. And I'm going to use you for my glory. I've stood on that through the years. So don't let anybody put you in a box or put a label on you and say you can't go here or you can't do that. Nobody in your family has ever done that. Nobody in your family has ever risen to that that level in education or whatever it may be. You're not anybody else. You are you. Hallelujah. And God created you to be the best you possible. At that, say, around that same time, I always love this psalm. I read through psalms all the time. But I want to look at Psalms 139. You should read the whole psalm. But tonight we'll just take time to read verse 13 through 17 out of the NIV. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that well. You know this, before we read the next verse, to despise yourself and constantly get down on who you are and complain about what you don't have, what you were or you weren't endowed with and I didn't get enough of this body part and I got too much of this other body part. That's telling God that he did a lousy job because he said, I knew you in your mother's womb. I knit you together. He said it. And you should say it. Say it with me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Then this, we're not going to argue with him. And then look at verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Don't you love verse 17? How precious to me are your thoughts. Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. I think it's verse 18. I didn't tell you that. But verse 18. Were I to count them. They would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake. I am still with you. If we were trying to count. How much God thinks about you. And how much you are on his mind. He said it would be like the grains of the sand. We can't number them. He thinks about you. You say, how could he be thinking about me? There's billions of people in the world. Well, the answer is, he's God. He's God. Another scripture says that he's got a a picture of us tattooed on the palm of his hands. He's thinking about you. He loves you. He loves me. He sees us as valuable and as precious. I liked how that one says, my frame was not hidden from you. Have you ever complained about being too short? 
too tall, too wide, too narrow. I'm 5'7". I wore lower shoes tonight and zipped up boots so I wouldn't lose my shoe. In case you were here this morning, I stepped out of my shoe. So I looked shorter. There's no heels on these. But I'm 5'7". And I was 5'7". At 12 years of age. I was 5'7 in the 8th grade. And I was taller than all the girls and most of the boys. I remember it very well. The 7th grade class picture. We had like 60 some kids in our class. I was on the back row in the middle. With boys on either side of me. Always, you know. And it was kind of a, it wasn't really, I wasn't like, oh this is, oh Danielle, you know. (laughs) I wasn't like, at the time thinking, oh This is just so awesome. But you know what? I decided to own it. I decided to own who God made me and stop complaining. Now I wish I were a couple of inches higher because, you know, we won't go into that. (laughs) Got a little wider. (coughs) Ladies, every single one of us, we start out with the same basic equipment. Of course, we'll... Most of us have expounded on the original model, but we're not going to go there. All I'm going to say is Jesus help us to be good custodians of our temple. Amen. Amen. But every single one of us, God's got a plan. God's thinking good thoughts about you. That one verse there, verse 16 said, our days were ordained. They were written in his book before they even came to be. That reminded me of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Let's look at it out of the Amplified. Everybody still doing okay? Are you all hot? I see some of you fan. Are you hot? Everybody good? Okay. This may not be a Holy Ghost run around the building message, but I wanted to put something into all of us. Just to remind us. You are something else. Because you're created in his image. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship. Recreated in Christ Jesus. Born anew. That we may do those good works which God predestined. Planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. And then look at this part. Read that last part with me in those parentheses there. Living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Hallelujah. Ladies, we are God's own handiwork. And guess what? He does not create junk. You are his masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. You're valuable. And he's planned a good life for all of us. A good life. Living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. God does not have favorites. Every one of us are his favorites. We are favorites of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He loves us all the same. 
The difference is some people have received that love and responded to that love in a greater measure. Some people have developed their inner man. So they're listening closer to him and they're making right choices that lead down that path to living the good life. If you got all sorts of horrible things that are happening in your life and you're like, God, why, 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 why? We don't want to blame God. Don't run from God. Run to him. And if you need to make some adjustments, make some adjustments. But we never want to have this thought. We never want to look at somebody else and say, he loves them more than me. I know he does. No, God does not play. I love you. I love you not. Yeah. Did you ever play that little game on the playground? Get a little flower and you have a crush on a little boy and you pull the petals. Ooh, I want it to end on. He loves me. Pull one out. He loves me. Loves me not. Loves me. Loves me not. And you're always so bummed if it ended on. Oh, I need another flower. Something's wrong with this flower. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, Woo. I love Jane. She's so awesome. She's so sweet. But there's something about Terry that just ticks me off. (laughs) I'm going to give Jane this wonderful, good life. But boy, Terry, she's, ooh, it's going to be rough. No, he does not do that. And the other thing about this, it says, God has prearranged He's destined some good things for us. Now, the word destined here, it means to assign for a specific end, use, or purpose. To direct toward a destination. He tries to direct us into the paths of light, into the paths of wealthy place, into the paths of peace and provision. But we are not robots. He didn't create a, create a bunch of robots. He's not looking for a bunch of people every morning that just get up and go, praise him, praise him, praise him. You're good. Going to go here today. Going to go there today. No, he gave us something called a will. So we can choose. We can choose whether we're going to follow him. We can choose whether we're going to get born again. That's the biggest and greatest decision you'll ever make. But we also, we choose whether we are going to develop our inner man. And whether we're going to get to a place where we can be led by the Spirit of God. And when we are, when we listen to what he is saying to us. It'll lead us and it'll direct us past of a good life. Does that mean you're never going to have any problems? Absolutely not. But it does mean that when these bumps in the road or these things occur, there's going to be a grace because you're in the right place at the right time. And there's going to be a grace to carry you through it to the other side. Amen. Well, as I was preparing this message, of course, I've said it over and over, but I wanted to remind you how valuable you are to him. And I found this old poem. Some of you, I know, have heard it. It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it's scarcely worth his while." To waste much time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. 
Who am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Then two? Only two? Two dollars? Who'll make it three? Three dollars once? Three dollars twice? Going for three. But wait. From the room, far in the back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, what am I bid for the old violin as he held it up with the bow? A thousand dollars? Who'll make it two? Two thousand? Who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, he said. The people cheered, but some of them cried. We don't quite understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man, or woman too, with life out of tune, and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of portage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Every one of you in here, if you're born again, and I know most of you are, you've been touched by the master's hand. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. You're valuable because of the blood of his precious son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I just I just hear this in my heart that some of you, you maybe have been born again for years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, maybe five, 10 but you still don't have the right vision of who you are. Being born again, obviously, is the greatest step that we ever need to take. But it's not just about putting off the old man. We gotta put on the new. We have to renew our mind to who he says we are. And we have to receive the love of Jesus. There's some in here you need to change what you're looking at. Stop looking at your past. You need to stop listening to those lies. Maybe even from some relatives. You gotta be kind, you gotta be gracious, but it's not it's not good to get around relatives and all they talk about is what you used to do and you were this old scoundrel and remember we partied here and we did this and did that. You know, you you don't want to be mean, but you could you could graciously say, No, I didn't. 
that person died. We're not going to talk about the past. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Change your vision. Change what you're looking at. You know, I remember a few years ago, I thought that the print in my Bible was shrinking. And I started holding it way out of here and I still couldn't see it. You know what I had to do? I had to go get these cute little glasses. I put these glasses on and I was like, I can see clearly now. Some of you are looking through wrong glasses. You're looking through glasses of religion. You're looking through glasses of what people have said about you. Labels that have been put on you. Take those glasses off. See, I'm going to put on some new glasses here. And I'm going to see myself like God sees me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can clearly and fully see and understand who we are. Who do you think you are? We know who we are. I'm my beloved's and he is mine. I am loved by my good, good father. And I feel prompted just to say this. Someone in here, you think, well, I just don't know if he loves me that much. I heard the Spirit of God say this. Jesus is saying, if you were the only person on this earth, I would have still died for you. That's how much I love you. Mm-hmm. That's the big picture. That's what matters. Oh, how he loves me. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Now, I know we don't have ushers in here, and that's okay, but let's all stand. I want to do something here. <clears throat> The only way that you're really truly going to change the image is to look into the Word of God and to renew your mind according to the Word of God. But you know the anointing is also present here. And the anointing can give you a jump start in breaking yokes and lies. Maybe some of you, it's been all of your life that these things have hounded you. We don't need to delve into the past. But I know by the Spirit of God in a congregation this size, some of you precious ladies, you suffered abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, maybe even sexual abuse. And that, even though you're born again, sometimes that still haunts you. We command that to be broken. In the name of Jesus. There, yeah, the torment of it. There are no damaged goods in the kingdom of God. So we don't need to know the specifics of it. But if you're here tonight 
and this message has really, really spoken to your heart. And there are some things, like I said, you know, a lot of it is going to be on your end, renewing your mind. But I also know the anointing, the anointing, everybody say the anointing anointing. destroys Destroys. yokes and removes removes burdens. So I know that there are some in here that it's, it's been a stronghold. It's been a challenge in your life for many years. You do your best. You cast it down and it comes back. And it, you, what was that you said? The, the torment of it. The torment of it tries to hound and hinder you. If you want agreement tonight, I want you to come forward. It's just us. It's just us ladies in here. Like I said, there's not any guys in here. We don't have to make a big deal of it. But we want to join our faith with you. Jesus wants his women free. Free. Free to be who God created you to be. Hallelujah. Unhindered. In the name of Jesus. All of you precious ladies out there, every one of us, you know, I had to get over some things. We all had to get over some things. I said that kind of humorously, but it really was a big deal to me that I couldn't sing and I couldn't play the piano because I'm like, ah, how am I going to be a good pastor's wife? We've all had to deal with things. Nobody in this room just was born and like, oh, I I just know who I am and I know that I'm this. I know that I'm that. Every single one of us have had to deal with stuff. And this is a safe place. These ladies in here, do you love one another? You love all these precious ones here. (coughs) I know that you do. So I want everybody out there, stretch forth your hands. Now, actually, the Holy Ghost just prompted me here. Like I said, I think I know most of you in here. But before we do this, the, all, the first step to getting rid of the past and all of that junk is knowing Jesus. Everybody in here know Jesus? Wave your hand at me if you know Jesus. Put your hands down. Is there anyone in here that could not raise their hand in boldness? Have you received him? Not just did you go to church and you were raised in a Christian home. Have you received him? Have you received his unconditional love?